0: Fun to see uh, people giving all their all after so many years of preparation. uh, I was watching uh, Jeffrey Abbott, uh, was it Jeremy Abbott, uh, the skater? How many saw Jeremy Abbott fall uh, on the ice? I tell you, if you haven't seen that, uh, look it up on YouTube because uh, he's an American skater and he was just like, I don't know, 30 seconds into his program and he hit the ice really hard. I mean... He, he lay there, I don't know, for maybe ten seconds because there was so much pain in his hip. And, and, and then he got up and he did the, the rest of his routine perfectly. It was just so inspirational to see this kid. You know, he's kind of like, let's just walk off. It's over. But, but he continued on. And uh, that is more valuable to people in this world than any medal. Because uh, people who are struggling, people who have failed, uh, they, they, they see that. Uh, uh, here's this young man who's worked years and years and years to get this moment, and he gets up again. And he said he did it for that purpose. Uh, the fans were cheering him on, and what a beautiful picture uh, of the gospel. You know? I mean, we're all down, right? Because we're sinners. And Jesus Christ lifts us up and gives us this opportunity Uh, again, to to be in relationship with him. Another uh, inspirational story is the uh, Jamaican bobsled team. (laughs) They are back. Uh, They didn't qualify for the last uh, two Olympics. They didn't even have uh, the money to fly up this way, even when they were ready to go. So they went online and started to raise money, uh, and and people gave $122,000 to help them uh, to get to social. here's a picture of Walter Winston, uh, who's 46 years old. and He's in a, uh, a duo bob sled, and uh, just just so cool. Remember Cool Runnings? Uh, what a great movie back in 1993 with John uh, Candy. Uh, and we love underdogs, don't we? And, you know that that's the exciting story of the church, because from a world's perspective, when you think about These twelve disciples that Jesus Christ had, this motley crew, these country boys from Galilee who were uneducated, these twelve guys along with about 120 other people uh, got together and and they were celebrating, of course, the fact that Jesus Christ was alive and, and the mission was to get the gospel out. And they changed the world. They turned the world upside down. That's what we're studying in the book of Acts, about how that happened. And of course, it was not them. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that turned the world upside down. So, we're looking at the church on mission. Uh, today, we're looking at generous hearts for the mission. Let's look at Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 is the key verse for the book of Acts. It kind of outlines it for us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, Samaria and to the end of the earth. So remember that they were waiting in the upper room. And Jesus said, wait, don't try this on your own. <laughs> you need the power of the Spirit. And then the baptism of the Spirit took place. Uh, that's something that takes place uh, whenever a person puts their faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit takes residence within us. God takes residence. We're the temple of God. And then they went out and they testified to what Jesus Christ had done. And thousands of people came into relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, that was the beginning. And and so, as we look at the uh, mission that's been given, they were to reach Jerusalem which was their local area, and then Judea and Samaria, which was the regional area, which included different cultural groups, and then to the ends of the earth. And as we look through the book of Acts, uh, we see, of course, they reached out to the Gentiles, that would be Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth, uh, they eventually reached Rome, which in that case was the end of the earth in, in some ways in that day. So, let's look at uh, the ending of our last message uh, in this next verse, Acts 4.31. Remember, they were being persecuted by the government. They said, you cannot talk about this Jesus. And they said, we can't stop talking about Jesus. So, they went back to, uh, again, all these Christ followers, and they said, let's pray together. And after the prayer, it says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now you see that over and over in the book of Acts. Filled with the Spirit. You're baptized as a Christ follower. But when you yield to the Spirit, when you let the Spirit take control of your life, that's when the power starts to flow. Remember last week when I talked about uh, my water pipe problem? uh, My front yard breaking? And we talked about the fact that the pipes in your house are the delivery system for the water. So the pipes are prayer, the best delivery system for the power of the Spirit. So if we want the the power of the Holy Spirit, that water flowing through the the pipes of prayer, uh, we need to pray. And we need to maintain our pipes by dealing with sin in our life. And we talked about that individually, as well as we talked about that corporately. That if we're going to make an impact... On this area, if we're going to see lives transformed, we need to be praying for our ministry. Well, let's take a look at uh, today's passage. We move on to verse 32. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. Again, a quick point of review. They had just had the celebration of Pentecost. People had come from all over the world in order to celebrate Pentecost. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit came and thousands and thousands of people came to Christ. Now, whenever there was a major festival in Jerusalem, they didn't have a lot of inns, so everybody would open up their homes. And everybody would come and they would share their food. and It was like that, but now because... The church had started so many pilgrims wanted to stay and learn about their new faith. Everything was new, and so therefore they continued to stay in people's homes. Now, how many have ever had a house guest stay too long? Anybody ever had that experience before? All right. And how do you feel when a house guest stays too long? (laughs) <laughs> maybe a little bit irritated, uh, tired, running out of patience. Uh, when are they going to leave? <laughs> that kind of thing. Well, this is really what you have. You have all these people who have come from all over the world, and they're staying too long. But what do we see here? They believe we're of one heart and soul. Now, some people might say, well, they were just really excited about the church and this whole new thing in their life. And No, 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 no. This was the power of the Spirit. This was the unity that can be found in the body of Christ when the Holy Spirit is controlling us. We all know that human relationships are challenging in our family, at work, at the church, just because of a lot of different dynamics. But friends, when we are controlled by the Spirit, that there's a beautiful unity That can come in people's lives. And that happens through the fruit of the Spirit. We look in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is our memory verse for February, uh, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things as uh, there is no law. Let's read this together since it is our memory verse. Uh, Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Amen to that. You know what, friends, uh, <clears throat> these are the things that the Spirit produces in your life as you yield to Him. And and again, the reason that I always give you a memory verse is because if you want to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you've got to saturate your life with God's Word. And and maybe you you already have a memory program. That is great. But if you do not have a memory program, I challenge you uh, to take these memory verses and make them your own. Now, the way this works, though, is that it's a gradual process. All, all these fruits, this is a lifelong project growing in all these different areas. So I want you to just take a moment and look up on the screen and say, okay, Holy Spirit, uh, point out to me what's one fruit that I need more of? Okay? You need more love, joy, peace, patience. Now, if you really uh, want to be vulnerable, you ask your wife or your husband to point out which one you need. And they will tell you the truth. They'll be spot on because they know you. Or you ask your children, okay, which one do I need here more of? And then ask your wife, your husband, your friend, whoever you ask, ask them to pray that you would grow in that area. Ask that that you would be more patient. Ask that you would be more gentle. Now, sometimes when we think about this, we say, okay, I'm going to be more patient. So I'm going to read a bunch of books on patience, and I'm going to put a strategy together. Well, that can be helpful. But friends, it's not your power. The first thing you do is you pray. The second thing you do is you pray. The third thing you do is you pray and say, Holy Spirit, I yield to you in this area of patience. I'm just a driven person. I struggle with patience. Please, fill me with patience. Bring, this is hard to do, (laughs) bring situations into my life that will build patience. And then, as you go throughout your day, just pick one, okay? Please don't overwhelm yourself, all right? Just pick one this week. One this year, all right? One, and then when you, you got that in your mind, and I always have a prayer list. Friends, that is a key tool for a disciple. Have a prayer list. Put that on your prayer list. Every day say, okay, patience, Lord. Help me to develop patience. And as you have that on your mind, the Holy Spirit brings that up. And then when you're in the, when you're in the moment of just about ready to tell your child, to tell whoever exactly you know what the problem is, and, and it's really because you're not being patient. Uh, then you ask the Spirit again, Lord, help me, help me, help me, uh, to be patient. All right, well, let's move on here. Uh, Acts 4:33. It says, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So they were going to the temple courts. They didn't have a building. Uh, They went to the temple courts and the apostles were teaching them and then they went to their homes where they broke bread, they had the love feast, where they had this huge uh, meal and they would uh, celebrate communion uh, just like we do here. Right now we're gathering together to study God's word and then we go to small groups. Uh, Small groups again go all the way back and that's why we have them here as a part of our ministry. But what were they teaching? They were teaching the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. What they were saying is, Jesus is alive! That was the message that they kept on teaching throughout the book of Acts. You study the book of Acts, and it's always about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is alive! And friends, every day when we wake up, we need to think, how is my life today going to be different because Jesus is alive? How is my attitude going to be different? Because Jesus is alive. How is my marriage going to be different? Because Jesus is alive. How are how my, how my relationships with my kids? How is my work life going to be different? And again, as as you wake up every day and you say, Lord, you know, I want you to live through me. I want to walk with you. I want to I want you to be a part of my life. I want to depend upon you. I want to know your word. I want to be your disciple. I want to be a disciple maker. That's that's what we need to be, right? That's what God calls us to be is to be disciple makers. We're so individualistically oriented here in our country. But friends, when we talk about discipleship, we're not talking about, oh, I want to be a stronger Christian. Well, yeah, that's good, but really the ultimate goal is to help other, be, other people be stronger Christians, right? And I always, ch- I always want to challenge you, take one truth uh, from any message I teach or anybody else teaches and pass it on to somebody else. Because that's disciple-making. When you you talk about lost people in your life, there's there's such kind of a feeling like, oh, well, you know, they're happy with their faith. They're happy with their religion, so I'm not going to bother them. Well, no. Jesus is alive. And Jesus is the only way to be saved. Jesus is the only hope. So when you think about the fact that Jesus is alive, how does that impact when you are around other people who don't know Jesus? Well, you want to be bold, right? We talked about that last week. Did any of you uh, step out and, and speak the name of Jesus Christ, give testimony to the fact of your spiritual life with anybody? Friends, it's all about the fact that Jesus is alive and there are so many Christ followers that live a life without Jesus. Jesus doesn't have to be alive for them to live the life the way that they live. Every day, Jesus is alive. And what difference is it making? And great grace was upon them all. Uh, That speaks of favor, uh, the favor of other people, because people were drawn. When you have people living in unity, when you have people loving each other, people are drawn to that. And that's what was happening uh, in the early church, is people wanted what they had. And the question I need to ask myself, is do people want what I have? When people look at my life, when they watch you know, watch me from day to day interact and just go through daily life, do they say, I want what Dan wants? Or I want what Dan has? You know? I, I want to grow like that. And I know you probably do too. Alright, let's move on to uh, verse 34. There was an, not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed, distributed as each had need. Now, friends, we are talking about, I don't know, at this point, uh, maybe 30,000 people. Okay? Not a needy person among them. There were poor people. There were... People who are pilgrims from other nations, and people were actually selling their land or houses. Uh, again, they didn't have you know, savings accounts, and uh, but they had property, they had houses, they had precious metals, and they were actually sacrificing and selling in order to provide uh, for the body, because you see what they realize is that everything belongs to God. The clothes that I have belong to God. Your clothes belong to God. Your car belongs to God. Everything you have is a gift from God. And therefore, as a community here, uh, we need to have an attitude that we want to share with one another. I don't think anybody wants my clothes. that's okay. <laughs> but the point is is that we need to share our resources. We need to share our love, we need to share our time, we need to share our energy. With one another. Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about growing. Becoming disciples of His. Uh, And this is the way that God designed the church. God designed the church uh, to be generous. In fact, He designed us to be generous. And that's really what we see throughout this whole passage. is just a tremendous generosity. People trying to outgive other people. And and this is so important to understand as we talk about our relationship uh, with Christ and our relationship with one another. Is that we as Christ followers should be the most generous people in the world. Because you know what? God is a generous God. Do you agree with that, huh? God is a generous God. Here we are, a bunch of sinners... A bunch of people who said, God, we don't want to do uh, Your will. We want, to, we want to go our way. We want to do our own thing. And, and we continue to say, no, Lord, before we became Christ followers, I'm not going to depend upon You. I'm going to depend upon myself. And what did God do? Did God say, okay, whatever? No, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth in order that He might die for us, to pay the penalty for our sins. Now, that's a generous God, isn't it? That's a generous God. Not only that, but then He put the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon us. Is that a generous God? Yeah, that's a generous God. Not only that, but He adopted us as His children and gave us all the rights of His children. Is that a generous God? Yes, that is a very generous God. Not only that. But He put His Holy Spirit within us. He gave us the opportunity to walk with Him day by day, to be in communion with Him, to be one with Jesus Christ, to to have His Word, to guide us, to give us a guide for this complicated, sometimes troublesome life, to give us... Uh, other people, other, other Christ followers who were bonded with the Spirit in to help us, uh, uh, to encourage us, to carry us through difficult times and to rejoice with us when we rejoice and mourn with us when we mourn. He gave us meaning in life in the midst of suffering. Is that a generous God? Is that a generous God? Not only that, when we die, We are guaranteed that we're going to spend eternity in heaven with Him forever and ever and ever. Is that a generous God? Amen. Amen. I'll tell you one thing. If you want to grow in generosity, you study, you reflect, and you have a... You build a greater understanding of who God is. And the more you understand and appreciate how generous God is, the more generous you are going to be with your time, your energy, your love, your financial resources, other resources you have. Because... You have been showered with generosity. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, that was the way that God provided for the early church. And that's the way God designed the church. God designed the church that, that people would give generously, financially, in order to support the church. We look at First Corinthians sixteen two. it says, "In the first day of every week..." Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So this is a little later uh, in the early church and Paul is giving them instructions. So he says on the first day of every week. So giving is to be systematic. You're supposed to give on a regular basis. Now that looks different for different people, obviously. Uh, We have our uh, time of worship as we give our offerings to the Lord here on Sunday morning. Uh, Some of you do it through automatic uh, giving. Uh, That's fine as well. The important thing, though, is that when you give, whether it be here in the service or uh, through automatic giving, whatever, but you take some time. If you write out a check, just take that check and say, God, I love you. You're a generous God, and I'm giving this back to you. You entrusted it to me. I'm just, again, giving you what you desire. And really, every time, if it's automatic withdrawal, just take a moment, like when we're doing our uh, offering, and just take a moment to pray and say, Thank you, God. I want to worship you by being generous toward you because you've been so generous toward me. So each of you is to put something aside. So that's the idea of, okay, very intentional giving and store it up as He may prosper. Now, I personally believe that the Bible teaches that... uh, uh, 10% is a great place uh, to start. Uh, and, and then you want to continue to increase that percentage as God uh, prospers you uh, so that there will be no collecting uh, when I come. There is a, uh, <coughs> there is a, uh, a state in northwestern uh, India. And back in 1914, uh, uh, these Indian churches got into the habit of encouraging their people that every time they sat down to eat that they would take a handful of rice and they would put it aside for God. They would do that. So back in 1914, uh, over a period of a year in American dollars, uh, the group of people that were involved in this uh, gave a dollar fifty to the rice that they collected. Now, just several years ago, uh, the same larger group of people by just taking a handful of rice gave 1.5 million dollars by selling this rice. They support over 1,800 missionaries. And friends, that's the way God designed the church. How, How are we going to be supported? I mean, God could certainly, you know, just put money in our account. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could do it. But He knew for us to spiritually grow and to be committed to Him that we just need to be intentionally taking rice and putting it aside as we prosper in supporting the mission. Uh, Then we look at 2 Corinthians 9-7. Each one of you must give as he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We need to be Happy when we give. That's what it means. We do it with, a, with, with joy in our hearts. I mean, if you're giving and you're just, I have to do this, don't give it because God doesn't want it. He wants a cheerful giver. In fact, Gordon McDonald, uh pastor and author, uh, was in West Africa. And he went to a, uh, a service there. And he was really uh, kind of perplexed because uh, people were bringing chickens and they were bringing yams and... Uh, bags of eggs and uh, 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 I think it's uh, cassava paste, something, you know, some food that people would eat. And he he asked his uh, guide, what's going on here? And he said, you'll see. So they got to the usher, excuse me, they got to the offering and uh, all of a sudden people started to stand up and they started to shout and they started to sing and they started to cheer. And then they brought you know, these chickens forward and the yams and the eggs and the paste and that kind of thing. And it was just a it was a great celebration. And what he found out later was that the chickens were used to help people start farms. The eggs and the yams were sold uh, to help needy people. And and the canvas paste was uh, given to to hungry people. But it was a great celebration. And isn't that the way uh, we should give? In fact, I want everybody stand up for a second, all right? I want to practice one thing that we're going to do later, okay? Uh, when we take our offering, uh, we're going to cheer. We're going to give our glory to God, okay? Uh, so just imagine uh, your favorite sports team has won a big game, all right? So I'm going to go one, two, three, and I want you to direct your cheer uh, to God, okay? One, two,
1: three.
0: Yay! Thank you, God. All right. Okay, well, let's try it again. A little more energy, okay? Say what you want to say, okay? One, two, three. Thank you, Lord! Yes, God be the glory! God be the... Uh, That out a little too early. One more time. One, two, three. Hey, thank you, God! You're so good! Thank you! All right, thank you. You may be seated. Uh, That's the way we should give. We should give with that kind of spirit, like our favorite sports team just won uh, the biggest event uh, that they could win. All right, God loves a cheerful uh, giver. Um, uh, let's go to the next slide. Uh, oh, let's go. Yeah, I'm sorry. This is a, I skipped over this. Uh, this is a basically uh, the, the slide about the rice. Uh, they said it is not our richness or our poverty that make us serve the Lord, but our willingness. So we, Mizo people say, as long as we have something to eat every day, we have something to give God. Every day. All right. I'm going to ask uh, Joe and Heather Hykus to come out at this time. And uh, they have been on a generosity journey. You've got to realize this whole idea of generosity is something that gradually grows in your heart. And uh, God prompts you in different ways. And uh, so uh, they have uh, so willingly asked, uh, not asked, but I asked them uh, to come and uh, share their story.
2: Good morning. Eight years ago, we found ourselves in a very difficult financial position. We were deep in debt and late on our bills. It was during that time that God convicted us that we needed to be more focused on being the stewards of our finances that he calls us to be. We needed to let go open our hands and give him what he deserves first. Up until that time, we had been not truly tithing, but giving here and there sporadically. Whatever was in Joe's wallet, minus lunch money, is what we put in the offering basket. We believed that God was saying that our first step out of financial chaos was to start giving a set amount consistently, The amount we settled on was not near the 10% that we wanted it to be, but we started to consistently give that same amount each week. We decided that no matter what, we would give that first and then begin to aggressively attack our debt.
1: 2 Corinthians 8.12 says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have.
2: Within a year of a change of heart and desire to give generously, we slowly reached our initial 10% tithing goal. We made sure that 10% of any income, paycheck, tax refund, bonuses, etc., was the first check we wrote each pay period. Over the next six years, with God's blessings and perseverance, we slowly out of debt. As the debt decreased, we began to look for more ways to raise our level of giving. We were excited by the ways we could find to give more as God had been providing so immensely. We were excited to see where God would take us if we were only willing to give.
1: Second Corinthians 9-7 says each man should give what he has decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver.
2: When Springbrook announced the Heartstrong campaign, we saw an opportunity. After prayerful consideration, we decided that God was calling us to commit to an amount that stretched our current budget. We were actually stunned by how happy we were to write that check each month. Each month was a struggle, but we made sure we continued our 10% tithe, paid our monthly commitment to HeartStrong, and continued to reduce our debt. By the end of 2012, we had eliminated all of our debt, except our mortgage. We had been routinely paying extra on our mortgage payments to reduce the principal and save on interest, but we felt that we needed to do more to be debt-free.
1: Proverbs two seven says, the, borrow, the borrower is servant to the lender.
2: Our feeling was that in order to fully serve Christ, we needed to escape from being a servant to our lender. It was time to sell our large house and downsize to a smaller townhouse. That way, we could free up more resources to increase our giving. Through extraordinary circumstances and God's intervention, we were able to sell quickly, and for the amount that we wanted, in April of 2013, we sold our house and moved into a new townhouse. Yet sometimes we find that God has plans that we don't understand. Six months later, Joe was laid off from his 15-year career, at AT and he accepted a generous severance package, and we prayed that the Lord would provide for our future. The first decision we made was to tithe off the severance package. Our second decision was to fulfill our heart strong commitment. Regardless of what happens in the future, we are happy to have been able to fulfill our commitment.
1: Matthew six nineteen through twenty says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in.
2: We continue to be excited about how the Lord will lead us in our giving. We also wait with bated breath to see what he has in store for our family, the following verse expresses our prayers. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Amen. Amen.
1: Joe, you have any other thoughts you'd like to add? Yeah, this is, I encourage you all because this this can be a very long journey. Uh, For us, everything kind of lined up the way God wanted it to, and, and it will for you too. Um, and you don't know how that will happen, but it will. So I encourage you to take a look at what you currently are giving the Lord and really see if there's a way you can stretch that, see if there's a way that um, you can step out in faith and, and give um, in a way that is generous so that um, you receive the blessings that we have.
2: He'll
1: do amazing things. Amen. Well,
0: let's rejoice. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for Joe and Heather and how they've testified today, how they've uh, discipled us by encouraging us and giving. Lord, I want to thank you for how you provided for them and. Lord, I pray you with Joe and his new business, and I pray you bless that and just uh, again help it to flourish because of his faithfulness to you. I pray you provide for all their financial needs. and uh, again, I, I just rejoice over their story of how they continue to step out in faith, how they continue to trust in you. Thank you that they're a part of our family and uh, thank you for all they give to us. They're very, very generous people. Uh, in many ways, especially uh, to our ministry and serving and uh, just uh, being a part of who we are. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, guys. Hey, listen, guys, I know when you hear that story, and if you're having financial problems or you're out of a job or you're in debt. You know, it's kind of like, oh, gee, I can never do that. And uh, Well, I tell you what, you can through the power of Christ. And uh, in your uh, bulletin, you'll see this financial peace class uh, that we're going to be starting on uh, March 4th. That's Tuesday, uh, 6.30 to 8.30. It's nine sessions. How many have been through financial peace? Yeah. How many would recommend it? Yeah, that's right. It's a great course no matter where you're at uh, financially. Uh, so I really encourage you to take a look at this. Go on uh, Dave Ramsey's site. You can see uh, some samples of this. But it is a wonderful investment. All right, very good. Well, let's continue on here. Uh, let's look at uh, Acts four thirty-six and 37. It says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement, a Levite, A native of Cyprus sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Uh, So Joseph uh, was, uh, or Barnabas that is, uh, was a leader, uh, went on the first missionary journey with Paul, as we know. Uh, Then it says in Acts 5, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Uh, Now, what was his problem? Well, his problem was greed. (laughs) He wanted to appear like he was a very religious person. Uh, He he really wanted popularity is what he wanted, more than anything. Uh, He didn't really care about giving to God. He just wanted everybody to say, oh, that Ananias, he really is somebody who uh, loves loves the body here. But Peter had some divine wisdom. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young man wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. After an interval, about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she she fell down at the feet Uh, and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So it's really unusual. Everything's going real smoothly and all of a sudden you have two people drop dead at church. (laughs) I'm sure the offering was much greater than next week. (laughs) But yeah, you can understand why these people were filled with fear. It's kind of like, wow, what's going on and why were they filled with such fear? because they knew that there was sin in their life that was equal or a little below or a little above, that they should be dead as well. Well, Friends, what this shows us is the grace of God. I believe Ananias and Sapphira were Christ followers, uh, but I believe there were probably a lot of different things going on in their lives, and, and God disciplines us. And sometimes He chooses to take us out of this world. I think we'll meet Ananias and Sapphira in heaven. Uh, you know, they were forgiven by God, but they went too far and God said, you're out of here. Same thing in First Corinthians 11 when people were abusing uh, the Lord's Supper. Many people died because of that. Uh, typically when God disciplines us, He brings difficult situations in our lives to cause us pain, to draw Him back to Himself, just like parents would discipline a child. But Ananias' main problem is that he was worshipping the wrong thing. He was worshipping popularity. He wanted to be known. He wanted to be respected. So he gave that money, holding part of it back, thinking, okay, I'm going to get a lot of attention for this, but I don't really care about giving to the church. I want to be well known. And when it comes down to it, as we look in... uh, uh, Matthew 6:19 through 21 it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your treasure is going to follow uh, your heart. Uh, Matthew 6, 24, they might not be able to bring it up here, but... No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, and he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that's really the the hard issue here, friends. That's why God wants us to give, because He knows when we're giving that our heart is with Him. Uh, So the question that all of us have to ask, we all have an idol in our life, whether it be comfort, whether it be pleasure, whether it be beauty, whether it be security, whether it be prestige, that sometimes we put before God. And our money follows whatever our idol is. And so we need to ask, okay, Lord, what can I, uh, just help me, uh, help me to uh, put you first. And uh, one of the ways you express that is through your giving uh, to the Lord. Well, let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you uh, for this time of study. I pray that you would open our hearts. In our minds to what we've heard today and that we would pass it on to others and talk with others about what we've learned in order that we might encourage them as well. All right.